0: Well, let me get my shopping cart over here. If you see a guy from Kroger's looking for his shopping cart, let him know he'll be back at 2 p.m. The nice people of Kroger's let me borrow this. I did not steal this. I brought this here today because this will kind of help me describe at least a huge part of me growing up. We had five kids in my family, so when Mama went shopping, everybody went shopping. And as one of the youngest, I spent a lot of time right here in this seat. But eventually, the day came when my little sister Ellie, who's three years younger than me, got to ride in there, and I was put on the floor. Now, if I couldn't ride in the cart, I wanted to drive it. And to a little kid, you've got to understand that this thing looks like a souped-up Harley. I mean, it's got four wheels, this cool blue handlebar. It's got this thing right here that if you're going fast enough, you can kind of just jump up on it. You know, it's kind of like a skateboard for the uncoordinated. It's just, to a little kid, there's no greater thing than kind of pushing and controlling this thing. And I can't remember exactly what my mom said, but I'm pretty sure when I expressed my desire to drive it, she said, yeah, I don't think you're quite old enough yet, maybe in a few years. Well, I waited to get older. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited. I was pretty sure that I would get my driver's license before my mom let me drive the stupid cart. But eventually one day we walked into the store and my mom said, Ryan, you know what? I think you're old enough now. Go ahead and drive the cart. I was ready to step up and be a big boy. So I grabbed the bar, got ready to push with all my might. My mom just kind of quietly, silently walked to the left side. And what did she do with her hand? Moms, you know, don't pretend like you're innocent. <laughs> she put her hand on the cart and if I wanted to go left and she wanted to go right, guess what direction we went? If I wanted to go fast, which I always wanted to go fast and she seemed to always not want to go fast. I was kind of frustrated as a little kid because my mom had made an oral contract. That, I mean, that's up, that should be upheld in a court of law. I was supposed to be able to control the cart. We all know what it's like in our lives to somebody tell us we're in control only to find out we're really not. Maybe it's at work, maybe it's at school, we're told we have freedom, we're told we can drive, and then we come to find out that that's not the case. Somebody has their hand on the side of the cart and is controlling it. They're just pretending that we're in control. I think a lot of times we do that with God. If you have your Bibles today with you, I want you to open it to Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's where we're going to be at today. If you are a note taker, you will notice today that the headline at the top of your notes is not the sermon you're going to hear. That was the sermon. It's a great passage of scripture. It's a great sermon. But this weekend, God told me to do something different, so uh, stay tuned. Maybe you'll hear that someday, but today we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And as you turn there, I need to make you aware of what's going on. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is kind of part of what I could think it's fair to call Moses' graduation speech to the Israelites. They had just uh, they had been freed from slavery, much like graduating high school. Woo-woo, seniors. They were headed to a land full of promise, full of expectation, where God had promised to bless them. And by blessing them, they were going to bless the entire earth, much like we hope and expect in our graduates. And so Moses, as good as God was, as much as he had delivered them from, he knew that the temptation would be there to take control of your own life. For your life to be about you instead of about God and other people. That sometimes we might, make, we might let God take the cart, but we keep our hand on the cart so that we're still really controlling the direction. Well, I want to start today... And I want to look at this scripture and figure out what it means for us as followers of God to give God 100% sold out control of our lives. To take our hands off the cart. Read with me in chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised. You know, we tend to not talk about commandments And I understand how you could kind of observe Moses. This is right after he gave the Ten Commandments. The people have seen the power of God, but now the rules come down. And I feel like as a culture and as a people, we don't like talking about rules because they feel like they cramp our style. They feel like uh, we have this understanding of some people grew up, and I have friends like this who grew up in a legalistic household where you may have had God's rules, but then you had a long list. And I had a friend that said, I always felt like I was about ready to punch my ticket to hell the first time I crossed a law. And some of them were God's laws, and some of them were one that were just made up. So we don't like to talk about laws because we're afraid of legalism. We're afraid of adding to God's commands. I think we also don't like to talk about law because we believe in grace. We don't believe that you are saved by by doing. We believe you're saved by trusting in Jesus Christ. God comes into your life, removes your sins, and gives you the Holy Spirit. And so we don't believe that we should sit around and maybe always have a list of rules in front of our face. We're supposed to be filled with the Spirit and live the life God has for us. So why do we need rules and why do we need commandments? I know how to drive. I'm not too shabby at it. The teens will tell you differently, but you can talk to them after the service. I do pretty good. It's been a long time since I've gotten an accident or even gotten a ticket. But the commandments function kind of like lines on the road. Every single one of us as a follower of Jesus Christ is called to live by the Spirit, and yet the commandments let us know that when we've crossed the line, we are headed for the ditch or an oncoming car, and things are going to get bad real quick. You see, I always had this impression, and I've had people come to me with this. Before I was a Christian, I had this impression, people would come to me and say, you know what, Christianity is just about following a bunch of rules. Here's my challenge to you in love, do it lovingly, but if somebody comes to you and that's their problem with Christianity, too many rules, say, okay, which one don't you like? Their response sometimes might be, I don't know. Their response might be some law that sometimes I've had people give me a law that's not in the Bible. More often than not, they'll kind of have a blank. And what I tend to say is, what law don't you like? Uh, Thou shall not kill? I mean, you know, do you really, I mean, I yeah, God's such a bummer. I mean, I'm not allowed to go out and just kill people. There was a guy who cut me off today. I wanted to kill him, stuff him in my trunk, go steal some things. I mean, really, if you stop to think about it, God's laws, it's not like our God is a cosmic killjoy. When I talk to teens about purity all the time, I tell them God is not trying to, he's not down on fun He's not trying to make your life boring. God's not down on fun. He's down on pain. And he gives us his commandments because he knows what's best for us. Tonight, Sunday night, Pastor Brady is going to be continuing the series on the Ten Commandments. If you haven't been here, I challenge you to come tonight and catch up by listening to all the other ones. It's been a phenomenal series on the Ten Commandments. And I'm not just saying that because he's my boss and he's sitting in the front row. Although that doesn't hurt. I, I'm saying that because as I've listened to the Ten Commandments, the details have been amazing. We've gone so in depth on them in a way I didn't even know it was possible. But I was sitting there and looking at those commandments. At times I've taken a step back and imagined what would life be like if we just followed those? What would life be like if we all followed the commandments in the Bible, if people didn't commit adultery? If people didn't steal, if they didn't lie, if they didn't covet what other people had, if they were content in who God created them to be, what would life be like if we followed the rules in the New Testament that Jesus lays down? Like, love your enemy, forgive as you have been forgiven. What if we did that? I think work would get a lot better. I think the drive into church would get a lot more peaceful. I think the time in between church would get a lot more peaceful. I think God gives us commands not because he's a cosmic killjoy, but because he is a father who loves us. It was a few weeks ago when I had a teen come to me. And he said to me, Pastor Ryan, I'm just really struggling. So we talked and he kind of listed and went through the things in his life that were kind of burdening him. And I said, boil it down to one thing. What's the one thing that you're struggling with right now? He said, I'm really struggling with God's will for my life. And I said, okay, what do you mean? what, What are the question marks for you? And after a while he said, well, I really don't know what to do when I graduate from high school. He was a freshman. I think we need to be careful when we talk about God's will. A lot of times I feel like myself in my own preaching and teaching, I've fallen into the trap of every time I talk about God's will, I'm only talking about his specific call in your life. Don't get me wrong, God has a specific call in your life and you should listen to it and live it. But even before you get the specific call, realize that God's general call for every single one of us is found right here. It's very clear, it's very well spelled out. The Bible isn't so much as a list of rules. If it was only a list of rules, I get a list of rules and instructions for my microwave and I don't read them. But what this is, it's a compass. It lets us know the direction to go. God doesn't give us a map and give us every single step right away when we want it, but he gives us a compass to guide us. And Jesus Christ, his son, to point that compass to. And so I told that teen, well, let me ask you this. Are you honoring your parents? He said, yeah, I'm really trying hard. How many days a week are you reading your Bible? Oh, five. Okay, are you praying? Yeah. I started to find out that he was already living God's will in so many ways. And I said, hey, that's great. Keep that up. Look for God's specific will, but realize you're already, if you're following God's word, he is in the center of your will. You may not always have control over your job. You may not always have control over the little details. Sometimes in life you'll get sidetracked, but this you can never be sidetracked from, at least not outside of yourself. Graduates, today I want you to realize Learn this book. Get to know it. Know God's commandments because he has something special for you. But I need to be honest with you. That if you're looking for God's blessing apart from obedience to him, you are already headed for the ditch. God had a great and marvelous thing for his people. He said, this book right here leads to life. But if you depart from this book then your life will start to head down to a direction that ultimately will lead to disaster. By following this book, we take our hands off the cart. But what about for those today that think, you know what, I've already messed it up. There's commandments I've broken. I've had people come to me before and say, you know what, all this stuff about God's commandments and his love and forgiveness sounds good, but I've already messed up. I'm damaged goods. I've done this, or this, hap- this has happened to me, and my life is already so far track off God's will, I can never get back on. And what I think God's Word wants to affirm in you today is that is a lie from the pit of hell. Let me read 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You need to know today that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, our God is a God of second third, fourth, and fifth chances. As long as you're drawing breath in, God can start something new in your life. Teens, for you, this is true for our graduates, but this is true for all of you. Whenever you start out a new school year, you get a clean slate in many ways. You get one academically. You get one socially. Sometimes you get one athletically. In those times, realize that God can give you a new slate spiritually. So many times, teens think because they haven't lived for God in years 1 through 18, they've missed their chance. And that is not true. I want to speak to parents today, too. This verse says, make the commandments a part of your life so that your children after you will follow the Lord. For those of you who have children following the Lord, praise God. I'm so glad you're there. I hope to be there when my son grows. But for those parents who have a kid or somebody in their life who you are mentoring, who is going away from God, I want you to realize God is still faithful. Still be a parent. Still tell your kid about Christ. Still tell them what you want for their life. But realize, just like you are a lifelong parent, God is an eternal God. And he has not abandoned you. And he has not abandoned your family. But apart from following God's commandments, there's something greater we need to have in our life. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. The passage here says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you've heard this before, but the Hebrew word for hear is Shema. Say it with me on the count of three. One, two, three, Shema. You can say it with your friends. You can share it with your friends. A little vocabulary lesson today. But the cool thing about that word is it's, it's all over our children's ministry. But the word means to hear and obey. So what is it about the Lord your God is one that you're supposed to hear and obey? Whenever I read that verse, my first thought is, well, that God is one. It's a statement about God's being. And that's true, but it's also a statement about God's supremacy. God is just not number one. He should be priority number one in our lives. A lot of times when I look around and I start to realize that for a long time I've had my hand on the shopping cart and instead of getting God's will for me, I've been just asking God to put his rubber stamp on my will as I steer the cart of my life. I realize that there are things in my life that have a higher priority than they should. You see, God's people in the Old Testament were surrounded by idols all the time and it was a constant temptation to put things in front of God. And I think it is for us too. I think even for those of us who have taken the hands of our carts, we have to be very intentional about not allowing idols to creep into our life. Sometimes it's our fear. Sometimes it's something we're putting above God, like maybe our job, a relationship, or this. These good things that are great—they're just not the best thing. And if you need help identifying your idols so you can avoid them, it usually ask your spouse. Check your bank account. Ask your friends. If you have trouble with it, there are people in your life that want to help you. But the other thing I want to make clear today is that anytime you base your life on anything other than God, you are skating on thin ice. I've ice skated a lot of my time, but I've, I've ice skated a lot of times, but I've never had the courage to ice skate on a pond because I'm always worried that the ice is going to be shallow. And I'm sure there's tricks and tips, but my fear is that if I skate around on shallow ice, I won't know that it's shallow until it's too late. We all know people who are basing their lives on things other than God. And for so many, it works out. For so many, it makes sense until the ice cracks and they fall through. And so today, I hope, I want you to help you avoid that problem. If you find yourself on shallow ice or breaking through, go to God. Make him number one in your life. I also have found in my life that along with obeying commandments, along with making God number one, it can't just be a routine. It can't just be something you do because you know it's right and good, although that is a huge part of Christian maturity. If In following God, we don't just want to follow God and his rules. We want to know God. And that's why the passage right after it says, Recognize that God is number one and love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When I got married to my wife, I was excited. I was in love. And when I put this ring on my finger and made my vows, they weren't rules. I was excited about how much I would get to live life with my wife how much that we would get to do together, the fact that we would get to spend the rest of our lives together was exciting. And I didn't think about the rules. And to this day, a lot of things that that husbands are supposed to do, I don't think about, I just do them. Not because I'm an awesome husband, but just because I love my wife so much. As you grow closer to God, my prayer and hope is that it becomes less and less just about what God can do for me, but about knowing God for God's sake. But there are times when you are going to wake up in the morning. Times when it is hard and difficult to love God. Maybe it's because your life isn't turning out the way you planned. Maybe because you're on some kind of detour. Something else is going wrong. And in those moments, I don't want you to give up. I think when your heart and soul don't seem to want to love God, you can still love God with your strength. I was listening to Mere Christianity the other day. And it's a, it's a phenomenal book by C.S. Lewis. I'm listening to it on the car and when I'm running. And he talked about how sometimes our, we can't control our feelings, but we can almost always control our actions. Some days you may not feel like loving God. Some days you may not feel like loving your coworker, but if you act... ...loving towards someone... ...then eventually feelings follow. If there's that coworker that you don't get along with... ...you wish they would just not be your co-worker anymore... ...or a student at school or somebody at college... ...if you act loving towards them... ...if you're kind and you're generous... ...if you're not expecting anything in return from them... ...eventually... ...our feelings have a habit of following our actions. And so I think that applies to God as well... ...and C.S. Lewis had that to say. He said, if you don't feel like loving God... ...it's okay but don't stay there and here's how you do it. When it's hard to love God with your heart, love him with your strength. Do the things that you know you're supposed to do even when you don't feel like it. Follow God's commandments, press into his words. In my life, I've noticed that when times get the hardest, I'm tempted to break away from God. I'm tempted to distance myself, but God is loving and he wants to and he wants to be near you, and the more you you live out your faith, the more you will come to love a God who sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins. So if we want to take our hands off the cart, we have to follow God's commandments and we have to love God. But there's one more thing this scripture entrusts us to do. I want to read again. I'm going to start in verse 6 and go to verse 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You see, the commandments of God are supposed to be something we don't just talk about in church, but we talk about all the time in our homes and in our families. I want to give you a challenge. The next month... Take the time to make sure at work and at home you talk about God. If you already do it, keep it up. I'm not suggesting, if you have a a pattern of family devotions, that's awesome. Do what God leads you to do in that. But spend time talking about what God's doing in your life the things He's putting on your heart. Spend time asking your friends and your family that are Christians, how have you been connecting with God recently? Take time from your Christian friends, your non-Christian friends, to ask them if you can pray for them and really pray for them. You see, something happens, and Pastor Brady's mentioned this before, and I think it's exactly what this verse is talking about. When we talk about who God is in our life, not only is it beneficial to those who hear it, but it's beneficial to us. It has a way of cementing the work that God has already started in our hearts. The passage also talks about binding Scripture to your life. I don't know what your Bible study habits are like, but I know they are incredibly important to your life. There are so many things that we put our time into. Graduates, when you go to college, you are going to get textbook after textbook after textbook. And you might even read one of them. You might even do your homework. You are going to focus on your career. Your senior year was really easy until you got accepted to college. And then it was really hard. Because you would already finish that next step. In college, you are going to be learning things that you've never learned. You're going to be growing in ways you've never grown. But here's my biggest advice to you. Don't allow the, the Bible to be the book that you never open because you're too busy. Get up early. Stay up late. It's okay. Pizza and ping pong will be there when you're done reading your Bible. And for all of us, I know that we have busy lives. But take time to read God's word according to how he's calling you to do it. And also take time to memorize Scripture. I had a professor whose name was Terry Wardle at Ashland Seminary. And when he was young in ministry, he started church with two people on his front porch in California in the 70s, 80s, somewhere in there. And within two years it had grown to a thousand people. With that kind of growth, it was awesome to see, he said, but at the end of it, he was so tired, he was so worn out, he had a mental breakdown. Forget what the disease or condition was called, but he was shaking so much, he just couldn't function in life. He couldn't do anything. He was committed to a mental hospital, and he stayed there for eight weeks. And he said, in that time, I was shaking so much that I couldn't even read, because my whole body was shaking, including my eyes. I couldn't even read anything for eight weeks. And in that day, I learned that the scripture I learned in the light was the only scripture I had in the darkness I want you guys to know, if you are a Bible quizzer, awesome. Keep memorizing scripture. If you're not, memorize maybe your life verse. Memorize the verses that God keeps bringing to your heart again and again. And I know for some of us that means memorizing a whole book of the Bible. I know for some of us that might mean memorizing one or two a year. But bind God's words to your life and to your heart. When I was a teen, I didn't want to give God control of my life. I remember when I became a Christian, I was all about fire insurance Christianity. I wanted God to take away my sin, but not my life. I kept my hand on the cart. To everybody else, I probably looked good, but I knew what I was like on the inside. And somebody suggested to me at one point, God might be calling you to be a pastor. I remember thinking they were crazy. I went home that day, and I made a promise to God. I said, God, I will never be a pastor. You can see how that turned out for me. When I was 16 years old and I started to learn more about following God's commandments, I started to read his word more. I started to take my hand off the cart. And God started driving. My adult leader came to me and said, Hey, you should teach the Bible study next week. We had a Tuesday night Bible study that had 20 kids in it. And I decided, okay, I'll teach it. I really wasn't excited about it. I just did it because he asked, and it was harder to say no. And so that week, I found a location at the church, a room that was available. I called and got adult leaders to be there. I called all the teens in the Bible study to let them know what time and where it was at. And in one week, God helped me to grow that Bible study from 20 people to 5 people. (laughs) At the end of it, I'm thinking, well, at least this is the last time I'm going to have to do this. At the end of it, the leader came to me and said, Hey, you know, why don't you teach next week and I'll kind of help you and just kind of mentor you in this. And and I'll be there, but you go ahead and teach. And I said, okay, because, well, I really appreciated him and his willingness to help me. But I also said yes because, hey, next week it was probably going to be down to zero and I wouldn't have to do it anyway. Well, God began to move in my life and began to shape and do something in my heart and life as I took the cart off the steering wheel. By the end of the year and a half, two years that I taught that Bible study, we went from 20 kids to 40. We even had, I think, a night when we had 60 kids. But that wasn't the cool thing to me. The cool thing was is that we had kids in there that had never even opened their Bible before and were learning about God for the first time. That was incredibly exciting.
1: I know that most
0: of you in here probably aren't called to be a pastor. There's a handful of us that are, and I'm excited for that. But I also know that God wants to use you to do great and amazing things. There will be times when your life is hard. There will be times when your life doesn't make sense. But God is leading you to the promised land. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be alright. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be okay. But it does mean that God has a plan to bless you in a way that only he knows how. And he wants to use that blessing to overflow in the lives of others. In a minute I'm going to have uh, Pastor Edgar's going to be playing Mighty to Save. And as he does, I'm going to have a stand and we're going to worship. I want you to worship a God who has saved us, who has delivered us from things in our life, but also a God that when we take our hand off the cart, he shapes, works, and moves in our life. I don't know where you're at in this process. Maybe you've never accepted Christ. Maybe you're walking away from God and you want to recommit your life. Maybe there's just something burdening you that you know God's placed in your heart, a friend that you're supposed to tell about Christ and you haven't done it yet or you don't know how and you want to come to the altar. I want us to worship a God who is mighty to save, but if you feel like you need to take your hand off the cart or like you need to commit to God for reading Scripture more, taking more time to memorize it, then I want you to know the altars are open. Anytime you feel God laying upon your heart, know you can come down here and we're not going to judge you as a sinner. We're not going to assume something's true about you because we don't know. It's between you and God. But tonight, right now, I'd ask you to stand right where you're at and let's worship a God who is mighty to save